Welcome to the Goracom podcast, where investors discover great small cap companies. Thank you for taking Agoracom with you and make sure to follow our podcast. Welcome to Beyond the Press Release on production of Agoracom, in which we take the time to speak with small cap executives after they put on important news with us today. Uh, happy to have him back. Andrew Morton, CEO of Bloom Health Partners, trades in Canada under BLMH for fringe in the US under BLMHF. And for those who knew the story, I'm going to give you 28 million reasons to love this interview. Uh, that's because the company has full year revenue guidance of 25 to $28 million already announced. So what do they do? They're a premium provider of operational health and health tech to Fortune 500, film and TV, TV, TV productions, and large organizations. So essentially, they're an end-to-end -end platform. That's what they're delivering, comprised of labs, clinical operations, and data that address the demands of modern workplaces and organizations. And more than just lip service, first, let's look at the numbers. Q2 revenue, just over $11 million, up 92% sequentially. And that's over Q1, which already was a knockout at just under $6 million. EBITDA for Q2 came in at just over $2 million. The balance sheet, spectacular. Cash on hand, about 1.7 mil. And receivables, another $8.7 million. But what's really important is why and the trend that's underlying all this. For those of you who thought that outsourcing occupational uh, health and safety was boring, well, not anymore because major organizations, in fact, major organizations all the way down to small companies are seeing health as a key, as a key driver of productivity in the years to come and keeping employees retention. Listen to what Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock had to say in January. Uh, this is the new world of work. Companies not adopting, uh, not adopting do so at their own peril. A Fortune 500 company CEO uh, uh, from, uh, that, and a client of Bloom said, replacing our aging workforce is more expensive than taking care of them. We're competing for talent with companies like Amazon that offer full benefits. Occupational health can solve many problems and we can retain our skilled workers longer, attract the right people and reduce insurance costs. It's big business. Bloom is, de is delivering big results. Andrew, welcome back, my friend. Hey, great being here. Thanks, George. Uh, hey, before we get to the numbers, how happy are you with the, with this Q2 across the board? Revenue, uh, profitability, balance sheet. How happy are you and how happy should the shareholders be? Well, I think the shareholders would be very happy. And for us as a company, this gives us that baseline to just keep on growing. You know, we're now getting into new things, new partnerships, new clients, and we just keep building on it. We're building on a really solid base. I uh, feel really good about our year. Uh, put out some uh, aggressive guidance for the year and we're delivering and executing what we promised. Uh, and it feels really good to be able to say that. Uh, which, which part of the uh, of the finance are you happiest with? Because companies would, especially small cap, would love to have a great income statement. But mm -hmm. if they can't have that, they love to have a great balance sheet. Uh, <laughs> if they can't have that, at least they want to be growing. You're knocking it out across the board. Is there anything in particular you think shareholders should be focusing more any, any other parts of that powerful financial? I, I think the biggest one is the top line because we're still in serious growth mode and that always comes at a bigger cost. You know, just when you're, you're growing a business and you're moving very quickly, it comes at a cost. That being said, we're executing and we're doing it profitably. It also has an indication of longer term where our profitability can be. And that's the exciting part of all this. You know, as we grow, you know, you've got to make reinvestments in the business and clearly the results show some of that. 
I think longer term, you know, we look, we see the business growing into more, more areas, more places. We'll see that top line to continue to grow. Where's that coming from, Andrew? Because you talk about, you know, you, when you present the company, you talk about you provide these services to Fortune 500, film and TV production. Education is a big one because you just re-upped with the state of Texas, K-12 schools. Is it evenly split? Are you seeing more growth coming from one sector, whereas more growth is going to maybe come from another sector? Where, where are you seeing it? Uh, traditionally, our biggest growth has been, you know, in film and TV productions, Fortune 500, we did some of that. Of course, the K-12 was quite good to us this year as well. That being said, the biggest growth opportunities for us is Fortune 500, and that's primarily because of workplace health. And we've proven ourselves through what, what we're hoping is an endemic now, which is great. That being said, they all now have real concerns about keeping their employees healthy uh, and looking for ways to attract employees. And that seems to be the biggest growth area. In my opinion, this is a generational opportunity where the employer now suddenly is dealing in a buy and is very much a seller's market for employees. And they've got to do things to both retain and attract employees. And the best way they can do that is offering healthcare. Well, and actually, that's one of my last questions, but since you mentioned there, I want to talk about that. Are we seeing a paradigm shift uh, in end-to-end in -end healthcare at the, by, by employers uh, and providing that to their uh, to their employees and contractors and everybody else that's involved because of the competition in such a tight labor market? Or is this, you know, or devil's advocate, could this be a, a one or two year thing and then things settle back down in the norm? I think it's a paradigm shift because the expectations will be there. You know, once you, once you lay it out, how do you go back on that? Especially when you look at what the next five to 10 years probably look like for the employment market. If you look at the actual supply of the potential workers across, we'll call the US, Canada, we'll just keep it there, although Western Europe's no different, Latin America is no different. Baby boomers have all but retired. Uh, my generation, or our generation, George, sorry, generation X, we're sort of a small generation. You remember at one time we were supposed to be that lazy generation, clearly that didn't happen, we're all obviously doing our thing. Then of course you have millennial and Gen Z or Gen Z here in Canada. Uh, and what we really have is a smaller generation in Gen X that's taking over for the baby boomers. That's an issue because there's just not enough of us and we're aging. Let's face it. We're all kind of getting to our fifties, you know, 55, some of us, you know, they have the higher end of that. Those are in many cases in a factory machinists that you need to keep healthy for a few more years because that apprenticeship of a Gen Z or a millennial can take them a little time to catch up. And then how do you recruit that person to want to take that job? Health can kind of keep them all there. So to me, this is five to 10 years out. This is not a short-term thing. I think it's going to be at least through the decade and I think that's why Larry Fink made that comment back in January. Yeah, how timely, how timely, right as, right as the Bloom business is growing. Um, you know, you had 92% sequential growth. Sequential for those people who are maybe new to the markets. That's usually people talk about their growth over the same quarter a year ago, you know, Q2 this year versus Q2 last year. You got, you grew 92% over Q1, just the quarter before. Uh I know you, you can't, I know you can't give specifics, but do you expect aggressive growth at your level? I know the industry, you talk about paradigm shifts, but you know, do, you have, do you have any reason to believe that that won't continue that kind of growth in the future? Well, guaranteeing that kind of growth, growth would be difficult to be able to guarantee that kind of thing. What I can say is we are bringing in new customers. There's new partnerships happening. There's lots, lots of, there's really lots on the hopper we haven't talked about yet. That being said, you know, the 92% the was quarter over quarter. Keep in mind as well, Q1, uh, you know, we typically run, our run rates typically a bit higher if you look at the previous quarter to that as well. But you kind of lose December. People, you know, companies aren't open, schools aren't open. So things right. are a little different. So keep that in mind. Having said that, we are definitely executing on the plan and promising people. 
uh, and you know, we're going to continue to push that. You know, the 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 growth is, for us is going to come from software revenues longer term, which obviously you know when you get into SaaS and that kind of thing, it creates a much longer, much more valuable business. And that's the exciting part of all this. I'm going to ask you a devil's advocate question, which is. Uh, for anybody watching this for the first time, they say, okay, I see why Fortune 500 major film and TV productions uh, uh, need to incorporate this now. We get all the reasoning. Why would they go to Bloom Health Partners? Why wouldn't they go to George Com Medical, some big American conglomerate or a bunch of big American conglomerates? What's your answer to that as to why you guys are able to get in the door? We're willing to innovate. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, traditional occupational health, and you, you called it out earlier, this is, I don't want to call it a boring business, but it hasn't changed in a couple of decades. Yeah. You know, and traditionally, it has been the equivalent of what I like to call a, a school nurse. You know, somebody hurts their elbow, they go to the, the medic, and that's what they do. So they don't really associate the medical component of occupational health within a company with the confines of your, your office or your factory as a positive experience. It's kind of, it's where you go when things are bad. But if that place is associated with things right. like preventative care, you know, this is a company that's taking care of me because they're actually screening me for other kinds of potential illnesses like diabetes, which is another epidemic on its own. You know, type 2 diabetes, unfortunately, is a major problem in the United States. 40% of Americans uh, are considered obese. These are, these are major indicators for longer-term critical illness. If an employer is taking care of their employee, now the employee has a better thought pattern to, hey, this is, this is an employee, employer that actually cares about me. I want to work here. I have my choice. You know, I can make 15 bucks an hour here or there. I think I'm going to go with the place that actually takes care of me. And I think that's what differentiates Bloom because we're willing to layer those kinds of services. The bigger piece is that all of that in information that's collected, you know, you, you, obviously it's private information. You can't know individual data, but what you can know is overall stats on right. what's the viability of my business. Here's all my employees. They're all working hard and all of that. I'm screening everybody. I can't know that Fred over there has diabetes and Sally over there has, you know, potentially a cardiac disease. What I can know is what the risk is. How much risk is coming out of this organization? And then what do I have to do from changing the vending machines all the way through to wellness programs? How does a, how does a business owner do that? And that's what differentiates Bloom's strategy versus I think pretty much everybody else in healthcare right now. How do you make sure you get your employees stand up desks so that George isn't sitting for eight hours working for ABC Com? He's actually standing up for two or three hours or moving or all that. So I guess a great way to summarize, and I love it, is status quo your competition for the most part is reactive like you said uh, something happens to george not feeling good go down the nurse's office and oh hey george it turns out you got diabetes and you're having versus your solutions are proactive you're watching george from now you're helping monitor his health and knowing well in advance before he starts feeling dizzy that you know well in advance hey you may have an issue let's take care of that so what is it? an ounce of an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of cure Without question, and predictability in the business. It's all about productivity from the worker. And if you have a happy workforce, it's a productive one. You know, and if you look at you know traditionally where the business has come from and how we grew and, and won, you know, won some trust and, and built trust capital, all these companies and productions, kind of coming out of the COVID stuff, movie productions liked us a lot because we were willing to work around their needs. It wasn't one of those things where we said, we're healthcare, we know better than you. Here's the lab hours, here's these kind of things. We worked around what their requirements were. We've got to behave the same way with, with occupational health and what we like to call operational health. And you called it out earlier. Operational health is all about keeping a company running or an organization running. So if we're working around a business's needs, what's a good example? You've got an auto plant in the, in the Southeastern United States. Well, that's a very different kind of an operation than say like a ski resort in Colorado. Those are two totally different customers for us. 
they have different needs, they have different kinds of employees, and, and bluntly, they have you know diff different levels of health for their employees. And it may be a slightly healthier crowd in Colorado, but they may have other needs. Yep. You know, where in the southeastern U.S., you know, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, let's let's face it, you're talking about you know, you know, densely populated areas, low wage workers, unfortunately, you've got to give them some services and maybe some nutritional advice that maybe you don't have to give to the, you know, the ski bones in Colorado, for example. So you could see, uh, you know, you could see growth out of bloom for a decade, given that this is the, this is, this is the new environment. Well, the most successful companies always understand their customer. Uh, and I think that's what differentiates us from everybody else. As we look at what the requirements are, and make sure we, we tailor things to fit their business requirements. You know, there's a couple of different deployments we're involved in now that, you know, they're, they're almost entirely opposite the way the deployments are working because they have to be, because the, the customers are very different. They have very different needs. You know, branch offices, small employees in one case, another right. case, very large, you know, industrial environments with lots and lots of workers, you know, and, you know, in, you know, frankly, close quarters. Those are two very different kinds of deployments with very different needs. Devil's advocate again, what are your weaknesses or challenges because look, and by the way every company from google and amazon right down to the corner store convenience it doesn't matter if you're successful within your sector you've always got some challenges you got to be aware of to make sure you manage those challenges what are what are the challenges that you're facing and that you're managing doesn't mean they're fatal but you know what what do you see as the challenges for the company I think biggest challenges for us is just keeping up with the growth and continuing to do it profitably. You know, at some point, we're going to have to make some more investments and do the right things to really grow the business because you, know, you can't show up at a Fortune 500 with you know 500,000 employees unless you're ready to actually deliver. You know, we're still you know we're about 70 employees today. You know, we need, we need to grow to be able to do that to be able to address some of those because there's more people we're not talking to than we're talking to, and we we have to make sure that we can actually execute on that. The good news, I will say, most people are really suffering from employee shortages right now. What I have found is that to date, at least, oh. we've been able to attract what I would like to call mid-career healthcare professionals uh, successfully, primarily because we have something a little different to offer. Healthcare hasn't changed in a long time, George. And I think we experienced that last couple of years with pandemic problems, that if, if nothing that exposed where the opportunities were for a business like ours longer term. We did short-term things in the pandemic, Longer, but it really exposed long-term opportunities for us. We're not competing with the, with the hospital system. We're an augmentation of health specific to the workplace or, or the larger organization. And that seems to attract that mid-career healthcare executive or that health, a healthcare professional, which is unique. But, it, but still, you know, you can't do it from a flower pot. You, know, you can't just grow, you can't grow an entire garden from one little place. You have to, we have to grow. That's gonna be our challenge. And, uh, but, but that's where a healthy balance sheet comes in. Again, I'll repeat it. Well, about just under $2 million in cash on hand and receivables of just under 9 million. So, you know, you can call essentially $11 million, so $10.5 million uh, on, the, on the balance sheet in cash and short-term uh, liquid assets. How, how, uh, how much comfort do you, do you take in that, that you know that if you need to make a few key hires or, or, bring, or you know, expand your real estate or whatever the case may be, geography, that you've got the resources to make it happen? We're in the middle of doing that now, and we'll do it strategically. Uh, so you know, anything, that any announcements we make about growth or new offices, it's specific to customer opportunities that we're engaged in. Uh, and, you know, at the very least, because, because of our track so far, we're, we're running a pretty good run rate year to date, which is positive. That being said, you know, we're always watching our cash. You've always got to be careful with cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, there's no doubt about it that you guys are watching the books because it's clear from, from the numbers. Geographically. 
Andrew, uh, is geography play a role? Like, are you focused, are your customers focused on the West Coast for now? Uh, or can you can you have them spread out? Or do you need to concentrate in one area and then make a decision, say, all right, we've got the West Coast covered. Now we're going to move to the East Coast or Central or whatever the case may be. How does that look in terms of your expansion plans in the future? Well, we currently have coverage because we have labs in Texas, uh, labs in Atlanta, and then labs in the Northeastern U.S. as well. So those three act as a backdrop. You know, they traditionally started with, you know, doing testing and that kind of thing, but that, that, that testing is now evolving to other things like diabetes and, you know, blood panels and that kind of thing, because that's really the evolution of our business. It was very much by design, because the idea behind that was to have a hub system of labs so we, that, we, that gives us the ability to control and innovate. You know, we're not beholden to a third-party lab that does things a certain way. Uh, obviously, everything we do is by the book, and it's FDA certified, of course. But the, you know, if you really focus on those areas, those are pretty good geographies to work at, work from. We're talking about large population base. In terms of geography beyond that, we want to make sure we get really good in the areas where we're focused first. And let's face it, corporate America has pretty good placing in those three regions. And yep. within, you're a plane ride away from pretty much anything from any three of those very comfortably, or even an interstate drive away. So that's a pretty good place to start. We're also up here in Vancouver as well. So, you know, you know obviously there's a big opportunity in Western Canada, a lot of industrials. And the problems here in Vancouver are no different than they are in Texas in terms of employee problems. How do we, how do we attract employee? How do we make them stay? How, how do we make them want to be here? I, th I think providing programs for that employee is the key to do that, to doing that. Last question for you. The revenue guidance you put out earlier this year was obviously before the Q2 numbers. And again, you put out guidance of 25, 20 to $20 million revenue for the full year. You're now halfway through Q1 and Q2. You're already at, you're 16.9, let's call that 17 million. Uh, a simple extraction of that means, you know, 30, it looks like you're on pace for 34 million. Any any uh, plans to revise that number or are you guys just gonna play it nice and safe for now? Yeah, I, I'm really big on under committing and over delivering. I love doing that. I just think it's a much more responsible way to run a business. Uh, but that being said, we're feeling pretty good about year to date. You know, at the very least, we're executing what we promised investors and we promised our, you know, our stakeholders here in the company. We're going to we're going to stay on track here. I'm feeling pretty good about the numbers. You know, if we need to revise, we'll do that at that point. If something you know extraordinary happens. But right now we're sticking with our guidance. No. And yeah, I mean, unless unless there's a big change in business, I don't see because look, I don't see uh, contrary to popular belief. I don't see the inner workings of. Of, of every business partner of ours, but unless something really changes, you're going to be, you might be hitting that number as, as early as Q3. So I'm curious to see where we're going to end, where we're going to end the year. Um, last word to you, you know what, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that uh, every company runs two, every public company runs two businesses. It's core business, which obviously for you is uh, operational health and health and safety. Uh, but then there's also the capital market side and the capital markets have been very difficult for growth Let's remember that Facebook is down 50%, Netflix is down 65, 70%, and I think Shopify is down you know, 80%. Even Amazon was down 33% year to date, and they've got the widest breadth of business, the most impenetrable moat, you know, moat protected business in the world, and they're down 33%. So you guys obviously have not been immune to that. Mind you, you've had a big week this week, which is great. But what's your message to shareholders when sometimes they conflate stock price with business strength? I think it's, it is an unusual environment. We're trying our best to just to not to pay too much attention to it and keep running our business. You know, we've, we've heard from a lot of investors the last little while asking us what's happening, what's going on. Obviously we couldn't talk about our results. 
And we kept re re reminding them, hey, look, we're, we're staying in the course. We are going to execute what we promise we, we, we're going to do. And we've done that, which was, you know, it's great to see that. And, and they get the message to shareholders and, and potential shareholders is we're really serious about running a real business here, a real brick and mortar business that has a serious digital component that has a lot longer lifetime value. You know, I think the markets will take care of themselves. An old mentor of mine told me once, you, know, you watch that bottom line, the top, the top line takes care of itself. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. And let's not forget, I mean, a lot of people think you and I are really young guys, but you gave away our ages earlier. Uh, uh, but you and I have been through dot-com. We've been through 2009. We've been through 2015 and even a touch of 2018. Fair to say that strong companies are the ones that survive, right? The ones that are executing. Bloom survives. Georgecom, you know, get, gadgety gadget doesn't. Uh, maybe a little thoughts on that, and we'll and we'll, and we'll we'll wrap up there. Well, there's always hype, you know, and, and that's fine. And I did, you know, I to date myself. Yes, I did live through the first tech bubble very early in my career. I was working at that time, coming out of 3Com, and was crazy enough to launch a business in the middle of all that successfully. And what I will say is, there's always that kind of casino talk in the markets, and that's fine. You know, let that let that happen. You know, without entrepreneurship, we wouldn't be anywhere. So I think it's great people have big ideas. We've got to run a real business here. We're just running really on the heels of an unusual market right now. To me, this is a short-term situation. You know, and, and I think the exciting part of our business is we continue to deliver what we're promising. And the message I would give to shareholders is it's not as if Bloom was looking to exit today, anyways. You've still got, you know, a, you've still got ramp up for growth for the foreseeable future. So even though it'd be great for all of us if small cap, you know, share price across the board were higher, it'd be great. It doesn't make that big of a difference to Bloom, really, because not like you're looking to sell the company or exit for shareholders uh, in the middle of 2022 anyways, right? We're, absolutely. And we're focused on long-term value, George. That I think that's a responsible way to run a business. Well, and on that note, Andrew, congratulations. I think I speak on behalf of everybody, all shareholders saying uh, congratulations on incredible Q2, incredible first half of the year and wishing you great success and can't wait to have you back on uh, in the next few weeks and months as to see how you end up the year. Great being here. Thanks for having me. To everybody at home, you've been watching or you've been listening by podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, your favorite podcast platform. To Andrew Morton, he's the CEO of Bloom Health Partners, trades in Canada under the stock symbol, under the stock symbol BLMH. For friends in the US, BLMHF. For those who knew the story, this is how you do your due diligence. Get to the company's profile page on Agoracom because there's a lot going on here. It's a completely different business. A lot of you are used to Fortune 500 clients, film and TV production, education. It's a lot going on. We give you a great thousand foot overview so you can really understand what the company does, get comfortable with it, and then take that base knowledge, head right over to the company's website, do your deep dive due diligence, and hopefully today you discovered your next amazing small cap company. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Hey guys, this podcast is over. But don't forget to help your company by liking it or even leaving a comment. And then don't forget to help yourself by following us on Spotify, Google, Apple, or on your favorite podcast platform so you will never miss another one great Agoracom Small Cap Podcast.